What's going on, everybody? Welcome into a brand new episode of Locked On Nittany Lions, your Penn State podcast right here on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Kevin McGuire, and today is Thursday, June 25th, 2020. And yes, we are moving a little bit closer to the return of the sports calendar. I can't wait. We still have a ways to go before we get to college football, but things are starting to potentially look in a positive direction, and that's always good news. In today's episode, we are going to go over some plans that James Franklin is going to take with his family amid the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic. Tennessee's Philip Fulmer had some interesting things to say about how Tennessee plans to go about the season. We'll take a look at that and compare that to Penn State's situation. And we've got a couple questions that were thrown in for a mailbag segment. What does Micah Parsons need to do in order to be a legitimate Heisman Trophy contender? We'll talk about all that in today's episode. Make sure you are subscribed so you never miss a single episode once they go live on all your favorite podcasting apps, such as iTunes and Spotify. If you want to help us out a little bit more, take a free moment of your time whenever you get a chance. Leave a rating, leave a review. We appreciate the feedback, and it does help with our placement on those various podcasting apps moving forward. And of course, you can connect with us in so many different ways on social media, on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitch. Our username is Locked On Nittany across the board. So make sure you're staying connected with us. Send us your questions, send us your comments at any time. And without any further ado, let's get today's episode underway. Around the sports world, we're starting to get some positive trends as far as the returning of schedules and playing games. Uh, it looks like things are going to get back to some sense of normalcy at some point in time over the course of the next month. Of course, the NBA was already scheduled to start at the end of July. The NHL is probably going to be starting around that same time as well. And now Major League Baseball appears to have its season ready to go with a 60-game plan that they just came to an agreement with the players earlier this week. So obviously, we'll still hope that that continues to be the case. I think uh, any good news on the sports calendar is good news for everybody involved. Because not only does it give us something else to talk about, something else to watch, uh, but it is a sign that we are finding processes that will allow for sports to continue to play. And this is all uh, something to keep in mind as a college football fan who's trying to wonder or figure out whether or not college football is going to be played this year. We have a couple of topics to get into with regard to that in today's episode. But first, let's talk about what James Franklin is going to be doing. Now, you know, since the beginning of this pandemic, James Franklin has been very stern in how he would approach the virus. You remember, go back a couple months and he said if the decision were up to him, he would pretty much shut everything down to make sure that everybody is going to be as quarantined as possible and get rid of this virus as quickly as possible or at least control it as quickly as possible. Uh, better than we have been, <laughs> to be quite frank. And of course, he has a, a personal side of this as well. He, obviously, his youngest daughter uh, has sickle cell disease. And in HBO's Real Sports with Brian Gumble. He said that his family, James Franklin's family, is going to be heading down to Florida pretty much for the rest of the year, or at least for the season, while James Franklin continues to stay in State College and coach the Penn State Nittany Lions. 
So that's pretty interesting. And obviously, uh, this is a, a time where if you have the means to basically seclude your family and keep them out of harm's way as much as possible, you obviously should be doing that. And James Franklin, of course, has that luxury. So that's going to be, um, you know, it's going to be pretty tough, I would imagine, from a mental standpoint. Obviously, we all know that James Franklin is very much a family man. He is not shy about that, nor should he be. And he has taken strides to make the uh, the Penn State football program and kind of an expanded family. You know, he's always making things feel like uh, players are at home in their, new, in their family, away from their family, and bringing families into the, the program as well. And so he's been very family-oriented. So I have to imagine it would be pretty tough to know that you're, the rest of your family is going to be thousands of miles away in Florida while you're continuing to move forward and coach a program now this is all assuming that the college football season is going to kick off as currently scheduled uh, obviously practice schedule week-to-week schedule with the games travel uh, that can be a mental grind just on its own but knowing that uh, you don't have any family to come home to at the end of the day it's got to be a pretty empty feeling i would i would imagine you know, i'm not trying to put myself in james franklin's shoes or anything like that but I can only imagine that this is a very difficult decision for James Franklin and his family to come to. Uh, I don't know how long they've been weighing their options, but obviously they've got a vacation home down in Florida. Why not make use of that? Put your kids, put your wife in the, the best possible environment uh, moving forward. Obviously, we know that Florida may as a whole be battling some struggles with this COVID-19 that maybe Pennsylvania isn't quite dealing with today. But the area where he is, his family is going to be going, probably going to fare much better. And of course, if they're kind of secluded in their own home, that's a, that's a good way to go about it as well. So I, I don't know what the easy solution is here. I don't know if there is an easy solution. But obviously, it looks as though James Franklin and his family are doing whatever they can to make sure that everybody stays as safe as possible. Following up on this whole story, and Ben Jones of statecollege.com made a very good point uh, in his story on this topic. James Franklin has done a really good job, as I mentioned, of creating kind of a family atmosphere and opening the doors to the program for coaches to bring in their families and, of course, players and their families. Uh, I would imagine that given the current situation out there, that there will be some more restrictions on just who is allowed to come through those doors. That shouldn't be a surprise at all, and I think it's obviously common sense at this point. Again, you know, Pennsylvania as a whole seems to be heading in a good direction, so any measures that you can take right now to continue that trend moving forward certainly uh, should apply here. And, of course, uh, this is a situation where we're not just talking about a football program, but you know, universities and campuses, as they continue to open up, are going to be faced with some serious questions and probably have to have a few more restrictions than maybe they used to. So, of course, if you have a, a football program that has typically been an open door for the family, I would imagine that that's probably not quite going to be the case this year. So you got to find some other ways to keep that family atmosphere going moving forward. So this year will be different. Uh, there's no question about that. Everything about this upcoming season is going to be different. And it's all a matter of how every coach and every coaching staff and administrators, how they find ways to adapt 
moving forward. Not having your family around is not necessarily going to impact your win-loss record at the end of the season, but certainly it helps get through some tougher times, some mental grind times throughout the course of the season if you have some more uh, voices kind of supporting you along the way. So I would imagine that Penn State will do a good job of finding an alternative way to keep families connected with their program moving forward through the fall. If you're anything like me, you like to have a little snack in between your meals, sometimes in the middle of the morning or the middle of the afternoon, before a workout or maybe even after a workout, you just have a little bit of a craving and there's only one way to satisfy it. And the best way for me to do that is with a Built Bar. Now, I've been talking about these Built Bars for the last couple of months. They sent me a sample pack way back when and I absolutely love it. I'm ready to order my next box of Built Bars. I'm gonna choose my favorite flavors to choose from. They have a variety of them. There are nut flavors, there are nut-free flavors. I love love that orange cream flavor. That's my favorite one. It's my go-to. I've been recommending it highly on this podcast for the last couple of weeks, but they also have a number of other flavors well worth checking out. And they're always adding some new flavors as well. The best part is you can actually build your own custom box. You can get a box of all one flavor if you want, or you can mix and match and choose your favorite pick flavors to share with your friends and satisfy your own appetite. And of course, right now you can go to builtbar.com and use the promo code locked on. You'll get $10 off your first order with Built Bar. So go to builtbar.com, use the promo code locked on for $10 off at builtbar.com. Let's get back to another topic related to COVID-19. I know we probably get tired of talking about this, but it really is an important subject to be talking about moving forward to the upcoming season. We still don't know right now what Penn State's plan is as far as Beaver Stadium is concerned. In an ideal world, you'll be able to open up the gates at Beaver Stadium on a regular game day every Saturday and welcome in up to 110,000 or so fans uh, to cheer on the Nittany Lions for the big game. Uh, But that's probably not going to happen. We still don't have an official word, nor was I expecting to have one at this point in time. But another week is going by and we're getting closer to the start of the season. And I know that Penn State officials are discussing all of their different options behind the scenes and they're trying to figure out what exactly they're going to be allowed to do, what exactly they should do, and what they may be capable of doing. I don't know if Beaver Stadium is going to be closed to fans this year, and obviously that would be a big drag if it is, but I do think that they will find a way to open the doors for some fans. I just don't know how many fans are going to be allowed in. And how do you go about spacing out fans to keep that social distancing effort moving forward? Obviously, a, a packed student section is probably not going to be in the cards this year. I'm guessing. Again, I don't know any of this. I don't think there's anything official just yet. We will continue to watch that moving forward because at some point, Penn State's going to have to roll out a plan for how they're going to address their game day atmosphere this upcoming season. And it's not just the stuff that's happening in Beaver Stadium, but of course the tailgating lots as well. That's going to have to be highly supervised if they are going to continue with the social distancing and monitoring all of that because they do have a responsibility to protect everybody, not just in their stadium, but on their campus. And if you're in a parking lot on Penn State's campus, they're going to be your responsibility if you get sick. That's just the way it is. Obviously, I think uh, by paying the admission to get into a stadium for a game and for a parking ticket, you're probably essentially signing your own waiver, <laughs> the, the, saying that you're accepting the, the risks that come with it. 
But I do think that it's something that Penn State certainly is going to be taking seriously. And I'm not suggesting that they're not. I'm just saying we're, we're still kind of waiting to find out exactly what's going to happen. Again, I think that Penn State is behind the scenes kind of evaluating all of the opinions that are out there, kind of getting some feedback from ticket holders who may have some influence and just, just to figure out where exactly the fans sit as far as our comfort level going to a game. One thing we do know is that Tennessee athletic director Philip Fulmer, of course, a former head coach of the Vols, he says that Tennessee is planning to have a full Nayland Stadium in 2020. That's notable because Nayland Stadium is on par as far as attendance is concerned with Beaver Stadium and Ohio State's Ohio Stadium, Michigan Stadium. You know, Nayland Stadium is one of the biggest stadiums in the country. So anytime you've got an AD from a school as notable as Tennessee, a program in that SEC, uh, anytime he says that they are planning on having a full stadium, it's certainly going to raise some eyebrows. And I don't know if that's necessarily a bad opinion to have. I think it is possible that it, you can plan for a full stadium, but you better have some backup options along the way just in case you need to roll out with them. And I'm not familiar enough with the, the, the latest developments with COVID-19 in the state of Tennessee, certainly in Knoxville, where the University of Tennessee is located. Uh, so their, their situation could be completely different, too. And that's just one thing to keep in mind here as we go closer to the season and with some of these really elaborate college football stadiums with massive crowds that they're capable of holding, every state's going to be different. So every school is going to have a different situation. You know, Pennsylvania may not be allowing certain stadium capacities that maybe Georgia is or certainly Tennessee is. So every state's going to be running things a little bit differently in the fall. And, of course, that's going to impact how many fans can attend a college football game. Out in the Pac-12, the University of Oregon, it does seem as though they're moving forward with the very realistic possibility that they're going to have a fraction of the fans allowed in Alton Stadium. That's notable because while Alton Stadium isn't one of the largest stadiums in the country, they do have a pretty big non-conference game this coming season against Ohio State, I think in week two. So it is something that's going to be realistic possibility here where we see stadiums at big time programs not being able to have a full stadium crowd. And that would certainly stink. <laughs> There's no other way to say that, but I do think it is the, uh, the, the, the fate that a lot of us are going to have to accept for this upcoming season. And maybe you're not even comfortable going to a college football game uh, given the the lingering effects of COVID-19. What happens if this disease does break out again? There are some people who think that this thing's going to come back uh, in the fall and really wreak havoc, not just on in everyday life, but of course uh, the sports calendar as well. So there are some people that are very concerned about what's going to happen in the fall once sports do continue to move forward and campuses are open and more states are opening up and the restrictions are being eased or uh, maybe people are kind of getting tired of all the stuff that they're trying to do and they're just trying to get back to their lives the way they used to be. There are some serious concerns. There's no question about that. And I'm always going to err on the side of caution, you know, say what you will about that. But I do think that uh, I would fully understand anybody who says that they want to continue to support Penn State or Tennessee or any other program as much as they possibly can, but going to a game is just not something they're particularly looking forward to doing this year. Maybe next year is different. Maybe things can be back to normal by next year. I don't think it's going to be back to normal this year. There may be games. The stadiums may be open, or at least partially, 
but nothing is going to be normal about this upcoming season. And to see somebody at a stadium or a university of T like Tennessee with a stadium capacity like Nayland Stadium, you know, when Phil Fulmer says that they are planning to have a full stadium in 2020, makes me raise an eyebrow. But I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing to say that you're planning to have a full stadium. You should plan to have a full stadium. You just have to be ready to roll out your backup plan if you're not able to have that full stadium. The Locked On Podcast Network stands against racism and social injustice. That's why we, the hosts, are making personal donations to local and national organizations that are fighting for change. And in the month of June, Locked On is matching the total of all host donations up to an additional $10,000. To make your own donation along with us, please visit LockedOnPodcast.com slash Black Lives Matter. All right, let's close out today's episode by taking a look at the mailbag. As I tend to do before I record any episode, I go to Twitter. I put out a final call for anybody that may have questions or comments about Penn State, the Big Ten, or college football in general. And I'll even allow non-college football-oriented questions. If you want to go off topic, you can do so. I can't necessarily guarantee that I'll have a very insightful answer, depending on your subject, but I will give it my best crack. So in today's episode, we have two questions that came in through Twitter, and the first one has to do with the college football playoff, and the second one is going to be on one of Penn State's key players. So our first question today comes from Jonathan Green on Twitter. He is NYC. He wants to know, who gets into the college football playoff this year, a one-loss Pac-12 or a Big 12 champion? I would imagine that it means one-loss Pac-12 or one-loss Big 12 champion. And for the purposes of this question, let's just assume that we're sending in Clemson out of the ACC. Your SEC champion, whether it's Alabama or Georgia or I'm even seeing some people say Florida, whoever the SEC champion is, we're going to throw them in there. And... I'm going to guess that the other, the third team would be your Big Ten champion. A lot of people, of course, are picking Ohio State this year coming into the upcoming season. Uh, but Penn State is very much on the radar. So let's just, for the purposes of the question, let's throw in Clemson out of the ACC. Let's say Alabama in the SEC. And I'm going to throw Ohio State in there because a lot of people are picking the Buckeyes in the college football playoff and the Big Ten championship this upcoming season. So the question now is your one loss Pac-12 champion or your one loss Big 12 champion. If it comes down to one final spot and those are your two options, I'm going to guess your one loss Big 12 champion. And I, I don't really particularly like answering these kinds of questions in the middle of June and the late June because there are so many different uh, variables that are still in play here that I need more information before I can really gauge exactly where we're going here. If your one loss Pac-12 champion is Oregon and their one loss is at home to Ohio State, I think Oregon has a pretty good chance. I just don't know if I really like the rest of their non-conference schedule. I don't think Washington is as good as they have been. I think Stanford is always going to be a good to decent team. So Oregon would have some chances to rebound from an early loss to Ohio State. But at the same time, who's your one-loss Big 12 champion? Is it Oklahoma or Texas? It's probably one or the other, and it probably means they at least split their season between the regular season game and potentially a rematch in the Big 12 championship game. 
I would still lean towards Oklahoma because I think that Oklahoma is probably going to be a better team this year than Oregon. Uh, if it's Texas as a one-loss team, I'd be a little surprised, but I think a one-loss Texas would make a, a pretty fascinating candidate to be included in the college football playoff. But here's here's the wild card here. What if there's a one-loss Penn State? Oh, I know a lot of people are liking that one. No, but seriously, a, a one-loss Penn State, you would imagine their one loss came against Ohio State. And let's just assume that it's another close game in Beaver Stadium as they tend to be when they're in Happy Valley. Take into consideration that Penn State would have road wins at Michigan, Virginia Tech, Nebraska. I think that those are a couple of really good wins there. And I think certainly Michigan and potentially Virginia Tech could be top 25 teams this year. So that certainly helps. Uh, they will get a home game against Iowa. Maybe Iowa's in a top 25 situation. So they may not have a tremendous amount of quality wins, but they probably have more than what Oregon may have, what any team coming out of the Big 12 could potentially have. And then, of course, you got to keep in mind that Penn State is probably going to start the season pretty highly ranked. And by the time those first playoff rankings come out, Penn State could be sitting in a pretty decent spot. And all of a sudden, if you have a one-loss Penn State at the end of the year, even though they wouldn't, under this scenario, have a division championship, they could very well be a team worth reckoning for. So that's a that's a little bit of a concern, I think, if you're a Pac-12 champion or a Big 12 champion. Remember, we don't give an automatic spot to a conference champion, and we have seen the precedent where you don't have to win your division to be included in the playoff. It's happened twice. Ohio State did it once. Alabama did it the other. So it is entirely feasible that Penn State could be a one-loss candidate for the playoff that stands in the way of whoever comes out on top in the Pac-12 or the Big 12. Now, I do think the Pac-12 probably will struggle to get a one-loss champion this year. As much as I really like Oregon this year, I would not put it out of the realm of possibility that they slip up somewhere in conference play, and I do think that they lose to Ohio State. So all of a sudden, Oregon's got two losses, and they could be your Pac-12 champion. That's probably not a great look. In the Big 12, Probably more likely that Oklahoma can finish the season with one loss, although there are some pretty decent teams to look out for in the Big 12. So getting through that conference unscathed and then doing it again in the conference championship game, probably not the easiest of tasks, even for Oklahoma. I still think Oklahoma is clearly the best team in that division or that conference, but I would suggest that they probably have a couple obstacles their way coming up the season. But good question. We'll always evaluate that a little bit more as the year goes on because it is fun to talk about. It's just it's a really difficult question to answer right now in, towards the end of June. Second question comes from Kyle Kenzing, good friend of the program, and, of course, a great follow on Twitter. You can follow him at Kenzing45. Great college football mind. Definitely give him a follow. He wants to know, what does Micah Parsons need to do in order to be a legitimate Heisman contender? Excellent question. Uh, I don't know if I necessarily consider a defensive player to be a legitimate Heisman contender because until the voting changes uh, and goes a little bit more respectful towards defensive players, I don't know if I would necessarily say that even as talented a player as Micah Parsons is, I don't know if I would consider him a, quote, legitimate Heisman trophy contender. But let's take a look at this. First thing that came to my mind was who was the last linebacker to become a finalist for the Heisman trophy? Unless I missed one, that would be Mante Teo from Notre Dame back in 2012. Again, if I missed one, I apologize. But he was the first one that came to my mind. So I just went back and looked at his stats, okay? We all know that in order to be a Heisman Trophy candidate, certainly on the defensive side of the football, you probably have to start the season 
already on the radar as far as national attention goes. Well, the good news is Michael Parsons is there. He doesn't necessarily have the same uh, you know, profile as Manti Teo did playing at Notre Dame. Teo had already had a couple of 120 tackle seasons for the Fighting Irish, uh, was part of a team that went to a national championship game. So he had a little bit of a higher pedigree going into his final year of college football with the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Good news is Michael Parsons is kind of riding the buzz. If you take a look at some of the early NFL draft uh, boards for the upcoming season, uh, or I'm sorry, the next NFL draft cycle, Michael Parsons is already considered one of the best defensive players in the country, potentially one of the first defensive playmen or players that will be taken in next year's NFL draft. So as far as reputation is concerned, Michael Parsons has it. I don't know if he's necessarily on the same kind of level that would carry over for a full Heisman push as far as, uh, you know, like my Titeo had. But here's the other thing. Micah Parsons just needs to continue to be Micah Parsons. I think if he racks up some big tackle numbers in the, in the biggest games that Penn State's going to play this year, and that includes road games at Virginia Tech, road game at Michigan, home against Ohio State. I mean, those are the three biggies right off the bat because you're going to get probably a, a couple primetime atmospheres uh, or opportunities uh, where if not – technically prime time it's going to be the big game that, that big game against Ohio State if Micah Parsons has a flat-out dominant performance and Penn State wins that game all of a sudden Micah Parsons is skyrocketing into the Heisman conversation uh, if he hasn't already so really I look at this you know, I think certainly 120 tackles would be great just getting 100 and something I, I think would be good we already know last year he had 109 just build on that Create some turnovers. You know, if he can find a way to just knock the ball loose or come up with some fumble recoveries of his own, heck, maybe even pick up a pick off a pass here and there. I, I think it would help to make some big game-changing plays in the biggest games. And he's certainly capable of doing that. But certainly if he is able to create the turnovers when Penn State really needs it, or he comes up with a big sack or just a big stop uh, whenever Penn State needs to get off the field. He's going to be the guy that they rely on for a variety of reasons. And he's very talented. So there's no question that he's going to be fully capable of making the plays that he's going to have to make. He's just going to have to make them in the biggest spots. And I think that that's always going to be key. We always talk about uh, what a player's Heisman moment is. Well, for Micah Parsons, it may be a strip sack of Justin Fields to clinch a game against Ohio State or lead to the go-ahead touchdown. Hey, how about a strip sack of Justin Fields picking it up and returning it for a go-ahead touchdown for Penn State in the final minute of the game? What better Heisman moment could you have? Now, if that happens, that you heard it here first. <laughs> but you know, I know that's a lot to ask for. But that, that's what we're talking about here. You know, I think for a defensive player, he has to have the stats. He has to have the tackles. If he can have some sacks, that'd be great. Force some turnovers, even better. You have a key moment in the biggest game of the year that maybe sends your team into the college football playoff. Now we're talking. Uh, that's a lot to ask for. I understand that. As good as Micah Parsons is, uh, don't want to set the ceiling too high for what he needs to do to be considered a legitimate Heisman contender. I will say this, though. I do think he's got a very good chance to get to New York. Now, again, I don't know if I necessarily consider just going to New York to be a legitimate Heisman contender because he is on the defensive side of the football. But I do think there's a very good chance he could get to New York. And to me, that's a win in its own. 
that's what I think. Let me know what you guys think. You can always connect with us on Twitter at Locked On Nittany. Send us your questions and your comments. And if you have an opinion on what it's going to take for Michael Parsons to be considered a legitimate Heisman contender, I want to hear. So get on Twitter. Let us know what you think about Micah Parsons and the Heisman race. And we'll retweet you guys and we'll add those thoughts into an upcoming podcast as well. We have a lot of time and a lot of content still to get to as we go closer to the start of the college football season. So that's one of those things that we can always come back to. So if you have some thoughts on that, feel free to share them with us on Twitter at Locked On Nittany. But that's going to do it for this episode of the Locked On Nittany Lions podcast. I thank you guys so much for listening. And of course, I thank everybody who has decided to subscribe to this podcast on their favorite podcasting apps, such as iTunes and Google Podcasts and Stitcher Radio, whatever you use to listen to podcasts. I appreciate every one of you who has hit that subscribe button. And if you've left a rating and a review, I thank you guys as well. So hopefully you keep those subscriptions coming. Keep the ratings and reviews coming in as well. It does help with our placement on those various podcasting apps moving forward. So if you like what you hear and you want to spread the word, that's the best way to do it. Of course, you can also send a link to all of your friends on Twitter and Facebook. And you can connect with us on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and on Twitch by using the username LockedOnNittany. We're Locked on Nittany across the board on the social media platforms. So many different ways to get involved with us. And that Twitch channel is coming together. Once again, I'm Kevin McGuire. Thank you so much for joining me today. You can give me a follow on Twitter at KevinOnCFB. I'm a contributor to AthlonSports.com. And I've got something that Penn State fans will be looking forward to within the next week over there. So I'll be sure to share that when it goes live. Until then, I'm going to tease it as much as I possibly can. Anyway, before I let you go, I want to make sure you guys know about the Locked On NFL podcast. Tell your home smart devices to play the Locked On NFL podcast right now on the Locked On Podcast Network. That's all for me. So go 1-0 today. Have a great day. And I'll talk to you again very soon.